Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Back. She sees something she wants, she will go and get it. And me, you, Jesus, will <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry. Um, I don't feel great at all. I'm sitting here in bed like, ugh. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not dealing with it today. I, I might have a touch of coronavirus. Who's to say? Um, but I wanted to do just like a quick episode because I've done all the work already. And frankly, I mean, it's not like I'm trying to be, you know, at all... Uh, selfless or anything. I literally just love the attention. So let's get into it. Uh, I'm going to start with the Black History Bad Bitch of the Week. Um, So I just need to like offer a disclaimer before I get into this. Listen, sometimes in life we have to celebrate the antiheroes, the people who may not do the right thing, but you'll be damned if they're not impressive. So with that being said, I introduce to you one Doris Payne. Doris has been a queen and an aspiration for me for quite some years. She has the um, a documentary that was on Netflix. It, I don't think it is still, but um, you can find it on Amazon. And I literally, like, I admonish you to uh, watch it. Um, it's called The Life and Crimes of Doris Payne. I think I watched this maybe like five years ago, and I've been hooked ever since. She's like... Truly an icon. So Doris was born in 1930 in West Virginia to a Cherokee mother and an African-American father. Um, And Doris is basically best known for being an international jewel thief that has um, spanned almost 70 years now. (laughs) She's um, 89. So basically what her like MO for how she would steal these things, she's um, would steal like a lot of rings basically, but you know, all sorts of jewelry. So what she would do is she would kind of, she would like get dressed up really nicely, um, 
look really presentable. She was like a very pretty woman, um, you know, very well put together. She would go in to these stores, ask to see this and that. Um, the, the interesting thing about race is understanding like how people navigated the world back in the day. So like, even though she was an obviously black woman, um, you know, in the South, um, just the fact that she could like dress nicely and, you know, speak quote unquote properly, like sound educated really took her a long way with people, especially in Europe. So what she would do, she would ask to see a lot of pieces all at once and it would cause like a lot of confusion and with the store clerk and then like, you know, sometimes she would have something go missing and then she would be like, oh, I found it in order to gain trust and then take the pieces that she actually wanted and leave before they ever even noticed. Um, so she started at age 16 or 23, depends thing on, you know, when she feels like uh, what she feels like telling us on any given day. So apparently her, um, father was abusive towards her mom. So one day the abuse got so bad, she had enough and Miss Lady, the Sasha Fierce adores pain was born. So she hopped a, a bus to Pittsburgh, dressed very nicely, and she stole her first ring. And from there, she was hooked. She gave the ring. She ended up selling the ring to get cash for her mom to, like, uh, you know, escape her abusive situation. And then she went on to a life of crime. So basically, this woman is like the Michael Jordan of, of theft. She used 32 aliases over her career and has stolen over $2 million worth of jewels. She claims that she spent every cent of that. I mean, not that, like, she's going to tell you raggedy bitches if she hasn't. Are you stupid? Um, but her biggest heist was at a Cartier in, I think it was Monte Carlo. Um, so, basically, at this point, like, this is the biggest story. And it, she tells it thoroughly what happened after um, she steals this ring. Usually, she would steal, like, lower item pieces but this she realized when she took in the ring that taking the ring that it was um worth about half a million dollars so things get hairy from there and I'm gonna do a very stereotypical reading rainbow style like well if you like the story you're gonna have to find out what happened at the end so like truly spend the $3.99 if you guys are like if you guys like documentaries like please find out about her life um her story is apparently being adapted for the big screen and is going to be starring Tessa Thompson so I'm looking for that looking forward to that Doris Payne we salute you we speak your name and we honor you and actually I wanted to um do an honorable mention to one Jelia Harmon. She is a 14-year-old girl from Fayetteville, Georgia, who has a kind of, you know, a tale that we hear a lot from people on social media is that, you know, she was just this, you know, black girl doing her thing in her room. She put something on the internet. It became wildly famous um, because people stole it (laughs) and did not give her any credit for it. And... Yeah, fortunately, um, the New York Times came out with an article this week and a bunch of other people have done pieces on her since. But basically, if you guys are um, at all familiar with TikTok, there's this 
dance that's been sweeping the nation called the Renegade Dance. Um, Lizzo's done it. Um, you can see it on the Everyone's Business But Mine Instagram with Courtney Kardashian doing it with David Dobrik and her son Mason. Um, basically, it's like this hit dance that's been taking over the internet. Um, she is the one who actually created the dance. She and her friend. So basically, kind of what happens is that like these kids will go to like smaller social media apps like like in this case it was Funimate um but a lot of these things happen on Dub Smash too where um you know these people will go on smaller platforms do their things and then somebody who has like a bigger platform will take it onto their social media app and it'll become this viral sensation so one day she this was like back in September she did this dance on Funimate and then she posted it. She had, I think you guys have seen this like genre where like people do a dance and like they'll do like a mirrored thing. So you can do do the dance with them or you can do like an act out piece with them or like sing with them. So it kind of looks like you guys are integrated with each other. So she did that video and then her friend did the video. Like, so they did the choreograph like side by side dancing. So, then she posted it on her Instagram page where it got about 13,000 views um, on her account. Then we find out that somebody named, by the name of Global Jones, I think it's at global.jones on TikTok, ended up finding the video, um, changing a couple of the moves, and then it became this viral sensation. And then another girl who's kind of like the queen of the uh, of queen of TikTok, she's also made the dance very famous and has become very popular and very wealthy. Um, people are saying that she's made over a million dollars just from being on TikTok. Um, it's, it's really sad that like we see these people do these things, create these moments in pop culture history, create these moments in like music and whatnot. And to see them like not get credit, like the girl um, who did the eyebrows on fleek, never got paid for that and we all said it at one point several times and like she never really got credit and I think like a couple of years ago she was saying like her passion was to uh do makeup and so she set up a GoFundMe and I think a lot of people contributed to that so I I just think it's lovely that like people are I mean this is like inconsequential at the end of the day or maybe it isn't because at the end of the day people do are if people are financially benefiting from work that you've done and not giving you credit and none of these people gave her credit in their videos. Um, I think it's, it's fair enough to say, to speak out and say, even with something like dancing, which is subjectively like, yeah, we can all recreate moves and like, there's a gray area there, but like, when you see a clear line of this person created this using this song, um, and then to see her like not reap any of the benefits of it when, you know, there are other teenagers out there who very much so are, it's, it's a shame, but Jelia, we love you. And I hope that she, uh, I don't really hope that she goes on Ellen. What is that going to do for her? I don't know. Maybe she can get a $10,000 check from Shutterfly or something. Anyway, do what you want, girl. I hope you thrive. I saw that she did a video with uh, Cake Camp who did the song. The song is actually called Lottery, Um, not Renegade. But uh, yeah, so we salute you, Jaliah Harmon. Well, 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 here we are back again. Week three of me being able to update you on Lori Vallow with her not being in jail yet. 
you want to hear it? Here it goes. Okay. So there have been a few updates to her situation um, since the last time I've been able to update you on her situation while she's out there eating Poke Bowls and swimming with dolphins and living her best life. So police in Idaho have found a cell phone belonging to 17-year-old, her daughter, Tylee Ryan. Um, the teen cell phone was found with Tylee's mother, Lori, an unnamed source close to the investigation, told the outlet. Um, the device was used several times since uh, after Tylee first disappeared with one October text reading, Hi, I miss you guys too. Love ya. That was sent to a concerned friend who was trying to check in on her. That friend said that she did not believe like the way that that text was sent, that that was not something Lori would say, how she would speak, etc. So she did not believe that that was her. There have also been, I told you guys, a couple Venmo uh, payments that she sent to Lori's oldest son and I think a couple other people, but they also, you know, there's really no way to track whether or not that was Tylee and uh, her brother, her brother, her uh, son has said that like, that Lori wasn't really like tech savvy. So like she would have, you know, she would, she would use Tylee's account to send money basically. Um, so now moving on to JJ, who is the adopted son who has autism. He, um, okay. So just a quick refresher, because <laughs> I have to keep reminding myself. So they were living in, uh, Gilbert, Arizona, and JJ attended the Lawrence Institute for Education, but they moved in September after the death of, uh, Charles, her husband, <clears throat> Um, so they then moved to Idaho from Arizona. So the school tells, um, a news outlet that it uses an app called Blooms, which allows the school to share information with parents and students. So I think it's kind of like a message board, that sort of thing. But I think they usually just keep it to like, you know, I I assume like weather reports and stuff like that. I I don't know. But, uh, so up until a week ago, an account named Lori Vallow was monitoring JJ's classroom communication system, even though JJ has not been enrolled in the school since September of 2019. According to the school, the name Lori Vallow has been tracked multiple times using the app, and the, this was even up to last week when the school discovered it and they removed her access to the app. The article also mentions that she that they monitored like the times that she would look was kind of around the time where big news would come out about her. Like, Oh, the kids are officially missing. She kind of checked it. Like she checked it in October. She checked it um, around the holidays. And obviously with all the news coming out, she checked it last week. Very, very creepy. I mean, it very much reads to me like she's trying to get, see if the girls are spilling tea about her, you know? Very creepy. Um, So then we find out information about her brother, which was very interesting. So her brother killed, shot and killed her husband. And then two months later, passed away on his own. Um, His name is Alex Cox. Um, And so, yeah, they find out that he got married two weeks to prior to his untimely death. Um, They've attained the marriage certificate and the owner of the chapel reveals how the wedding went down. So Alex named married a woman named Zalima Pastenas. They went to Vegas to get married at the chapel of love. 
Um, the owner is named Sebastian Salas, and he remembers arranging the ceremony, but says that his minister remembers the mood of the wedding. And he goes on to say, like, for my minister to be able to remember that, and it's been two and a half months for him uh, to be able to tell me this is obviously like a very serious situation. And he said that what clearly stuck out to him was the lack of emotional response. The wedding lasted no more than eight minutes. There was only one witness, which was the chapel security guard because they came alone. He said that they were very cold. It was very businesslike and they just wanted to get in and out. And the marriage certificate also confirms that Alex tried to take the name of his wife, um, which he says has never happened. Um, I mean, obviously we know that men take their wives' names all the time, but like he said that he's never seen anything like that. Um, they have tried to reach out to Zalima and multiple times she doesn't want to speak to them at all, has not been answering her cell phone. Why she would, I don't know (laughs) at this point. Um, okay. So now going to Lori, we find out that, uh, prior to her death, the death of Charles, her husband, uh, she thought that she would be the beneficiary to a uh, $1 million life insurance policy that Charles had set out. Now, Charles and Lori were very much estranged. They were headed toward divorce. He had already filed. Um, so for her to think that she would be the beneficiary is very weird. Um, so according to Charles' sister, Kay, he, she confirms that he made her the beneficiary a few months before his death, which is probably something that she shouldn't be admitting to, considering how many bodies are down in the situation. But anyway, Woodcock says that a few days after her brother died, Lori called the insurance company to find out about the policy. But she says the agent told Lori that Charles had changed the beneficiary and that she would not get any money. So Kay says that her brother came to her five months before he died at a time when Lori had made it clear that she did not want to be with him anymore. She says that Charles did not want to leave the money to his children because he wasn't sure what Lori would do. Um, Obviously, we know these kids are gone. And yeah, yikes, you guys. So what I'm thinking is what happened. And I got some really good insight and, you know, as to like how obviously she's a high flight risk and obviously she you know they need to gather evidence before they can arrest her i get that (laughs) but um uh yeah i think the only thing that would make sense to me as to why she's not being arrested right now and i'm not like on all the reddit forums or anything this is purely just my opinion is that they must be waiting for these autopsy results to get back from her brother and uh her uh, Chad Daybell, her now her new husband's wife. This must be what they're waiting on. Uh, I can't imagine what else. They, I mean, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence, but it's very bad. And I just think that, like, maybe there should be a conversation surrounding, like, how we handle the situation of missing children. If there is a, there should be a consequence. Like, if you can't produce minors, there should be a consequence to you if there's a deadline set and you cannot produce them, period. Like, I think that was a very big mistake. I mean, we all, I guess, know where Lori is now. So I guess it's kind of like a just wait and see situation. But I think 
there needs there needs to be like laws set up to like if there are minors involved especially minors who have you know learning disabilities and who knows what medications they might need um each of the children uh for there needs to be laws set up to have actual consequences if the situation ever arises again and the parents are not able to produce their children like why is there not a law about that? Or maybe it's not a law in Idaho. I don't know. But yeah, if you guys know anything about that, if this is like a standard practice to just be like, oh, okay, we'll have fun in Hawaii. Uh, let me know. I continue to be very frustrated and highly interested in this situation. And I can't imagine that it's going to be much longer until we find out the autopsy revol- results from at least one of the people. So one of the victims so we'll see you guys i'm stressed all right before i completely lose my voice let's talk about married at first sight okay so the couples are back in dc they are all getting apartments in the uh same building so we see them move in uh jessica and austin move in first and they say they've never lived with a significant other so jessica's really looking forward to like this whole process because there's nothing to compare it to um then we have mika and michael who are also super excited <clears throat> then we get to brandon and taylor uh the scene starts off with gloomy music taylor's moving in by herself because brandon left the airport and she doesn't know where he went she says that she feels like he quits a lot um with regard to like conversation he'll shut it down and and production um she feels like there have been like a ridiculous amount of pivots that have happened in their with regard to his uh attitude um but she's hopeful that they can work it out (laughs) um katie and Derek are still really excited they're looking forward to making a home But Derek says that he's preparing for bumps in the road. Then we get Mindy and Zach, another horror show. Um, Mindy's also moving into the apartment, the couple's apartment by herself. Apparently, Zach told her at the airport that he wasn't ready to move in. Um, But she's decided to move into the apartment because she's all in on the experiment. (laughs) So they get the shots of her moving in and there's like the sad close up of her single toothbrush in the holder. Like, listen, look at her. Not even has not even having two toothbrushes, the poor thing. Um, so then we get it's like now the first official morning. Um, but we know that Zach and Brandon are at their houses while Mindy and Taylor are staying at the couple's apartments. Uh, the rest of the couples will be visiting um, each other's like actual places to like get stuff to move into the apartments. And they're also going to be having visits by Castor Pal. Pastor Cal. <laughs> um, so we start with Mindy and Zach. <clears throat> um, then we see like Zach's like, oh, Zach who claimed to be to wake up at four thirty every morning is now. And I saw the clock. It was two o'clock. It's two thirteen, and he's making eggs. He's got very cute dogs, so I'll give him one point for each dog for that. Um. Zach says that even though things went right on a smaller scale, he felt like it was best to stay at home and he thinks that there's a reset button that needs to be hit and that he doesn't want to compromise and be fake for the show. Okay. 
which is why you never really it's like he just like pussy pops and backpedals every time when it comes to like being on camera and telling the truth of how he really feels to Mindy which I know that can be hard but like if you're saying these things to her off camera then just say them on camera because you don't want to show up show off for camera right be fake for the show right Ugh, anyway, at the couple's apartment, um, we're there with Mindy and she says that she's not spoken much to Zach, but if she wants to show up, they can make it work. Um, her friend Mallory comes over for dinner and we love a voice of reason person. She asks what they did. Like, did they hook up on the, on the honeymoon? And she's like, well, we kissed, we kind of like made out, but that was really it. Um, but that Zach told her several times that he wasn't attracted to her and that it wouldn't be healthy to move in, but that he still wants to try and make it work. Mallory, thank God, is like, this dude is full of shit and she thinks that Mindy deserves better. And then she says like in an interview with the producers that, um, that like if Zach can treat Mindy better then great. But as of now, all I'm seeing about his character is garbage preach sister um speaking of preaching pastor cal meets with mindy first um she says that the wedding day was awesome and that we get a flashback to like the scene where she and jessica met in the bathroom while they were both having their weddings and like gushing about their husbands she said that the first day was great the wedding was great um but the zach ultimately isn't giving her anything to work with um cal says that they paired zach with mindy because he was attracted to because he said he was attracted to intelligence and drive this is where i have to say skirt (laughs) that was like the weakest skirt i could my voice started so bad um but you're telling me that they paired him because zach told y'all that he was attracted to intelligence and drive but how is it that like between the three quote-unquote experts and all of production how is it that i clocked even before he saw her even before the wedding even before she walked down the aisle that he was not going to be attracted to her how is that houseway tell me let me know it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So Cal meets up with Zach and he said that Mindy's cool, but he's struggling with attraction, that he doesn't feel chemistry. Now, I often talk about like Zach talking in circles in order to like sound intelligent, but I don't really get into it. But 
here's an example of what he said. All these attributes, all these checkboxes, right? And for me personally, you know, chemistry is a kind of intangible that you can't just manufacture. And that drives things towards attraction, right? That fuels your intensity to be able to interact and discover and make things work. (sighs) Pastor Cal and I are both taking our glasses off and rubbing our eyes at this point. Like, I don't wear glasses, but I did in the proverbial sense. (laughs) Um... Cal cuts the bullshit with Zach and just says, like, do you have a preconceived notion of what you want and she's not it? And Zach says, no. And I say, yeah. (laughs) He says that on paper everything looks great, but that he feels like there's something missing. Like, just say that you don't think she's hot. Like, he keeps saying, like, oh, she's beautiful, blah, blah, blah. Like, you don't believe that, though. And, like, I just... I don't know. I just think, like, obviously it's rude to tell somebody that you're not attracted to them, but you've already done so several times at this point. So tell her, like, just be honest with her, you know, like, stop. At some point, you have to just stop wasting somebody's time. Like, if you see that they have hope and that you really don't, like, just let them go. You know, like, there's no, if you're not into it, there's no motivation for you to, like, try to keep them to try to seem like the good person. Like, you're a much better person if you just stop wasting people's time. <laughs> Triggered. Um, so then he, Zach says that he just wants to make it work and... Cal says that he's not sure if Zach is there for the right reasons, but if he wants to help to make this work, that he'll help him. So then Mindy and Zach come together and they agree that they want to stay together. Zach, you know, Cal brings up the, you know, moving in situation and Zach is like, oh, like he says he's still not really interested in living together. And Cal's like, well, you know that there are two bedrooms in this apartment. Yeah. And, and Zach is like, well, yeah, but this isn't roommates at first sight. And to which Cal and me are like, yeah, it's married at first sight. And usually married people live with their partners. And you knew very well how this was going to go. You knew prior to you signing up and agreeing to this, like, all of this was going to happen. So Cal's like, you know, <laughs> no, excuse me, Zach was like, well, I just, I just want to like be able to miss you. Like I genuinely want to miss you and want to text you and know what you're up to. <laughs> okay, girl. And then Pastor Cal, like I said, says like, none, none of this process should be surprising to you. Like you knew you were supposed to move into her, but we're not in the business of forcing people to do anything. So they kind of left it at that with them. <clears throat> So then we go to Katie and Derek and they go to Derek's place first and Derek has a roommate and he kind of lives, you know, very much like a single dude who has a roommate. Um, she says that his bedroom is a little bit immature, that it's kind of like, it looks like, you know, like if he were still living with his parents, but, and, and because of that, she's kind of worried if he would be ready for like a live in partner situation. Um, she's kind of like looking around his stuff she opens the top drawer first she asks like is there something I should be worried about and like he starts to say like oh you know like I guess Dr. Pepper was going through the people's homes like to inspect them and he's like well you know I told Dr. Pepper like I had condoms and stuff and then she opens the drawer he's got like a wad of 20s and a gun now we find out that the gun is fake and Derek says you know like I just need everybody needs protection and in the dark, if somebody comes 
you know, if somebody breaks into the house, they're not going to know that the gun's fake. So, you know, he just keeps that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everything about that was pretty cut and dry. Um, then we go to Katie's dog, Katie's house where she's got a dog named Jax and Derek is like <clears throat> so excited about the idea of adopting quote unquote, like having a new uh, dog son. Um, Pastor Kelly comes over and he asks him like how things are going and he goes, you know, like all things considered, things are going pretty well. And then he asks, Pastor Cal asks if they've developed anything more substantial than, like, physical attraction to one another. And Katie starts to get a little bit cagey, and Derek says, like, it's growing, but he feels like things are a little bit stagnant between them. And in terms of, like, the honeymoon phase, that they've made it, they've gone through the process, like, they've gone as far as they can go in terms of, like, that, like, cutesy honeymoon stage without there being any real feelings behind it. So... Derek is saying that, like, he just believes that the only thing that they're missing in terms of their relationship is, like, really time to get to know each other and let those, like, seeds of love really plant and grow. Um, So Katie says that Derek referred to her as his roommate and that it concerns her because, um, you know, she's like, I'm his wife. And, you know, she's saying that everything feels very surface with him. Um, yeah, Derek then goes on to say that he doesn't think that he can feel love for her for like another six months to a year. Like he just is not the way he operates. He says he's never been in love, but like he gets easy going there. But like, I think it's completely reasonable to say like, you know, it might take me a few months to actually be able to say like, I love you. But on the other hand, Katie is somebody who very much wanted to like have that like, Taylor Swiftian love story where things just happen so quickly and it's just like this thing where she's very clearly put off by the fact that she might have to wait up to a year <laughs> to be in love with somebody. Um, so Cal and Derek discuss whether or not he's been in love before and then, you know, he gets into that and then Katie drops the bomb about her ex. Now we found out in the first episode that Katie had been dating somebody but he was not really ready to commit to her until he found out that she was signing, that she had signed up for married at first sight. And then it was kind of like the kick in the pants for him to tell her that he loved her. But Katie, like Cal says like, okay, did you, Katie says that Cal knew all of this. And the Katie says like, at the time you asked me if it would be easy for me to drop the situation and to drop my ex. And I told you, yes, but, um, you know, things changed when he told her that he loved her, basically. So Cal asks, like, if it would be a problem if the guy came back to the picture. And after a long pause, Katie's like, well, it's hard to say. And he asks if she's still attracted to him. And she says yes. And then he asks, um, she said yes, but that she's emotionally cut ties with him but then she goes on to say like it's an everyday conscious thing to like make sure that I have emotionally cut ties with Cal's like okay well then that means that you haven't she starts to cry and says that she didn't have a lot of time between like you know the breakup and the show starting to really process and like heal and then she admits that it's probably like hindering the process to them really like getting a little bit deeper in their relationship Derek's face while she's talking about this guy is like 
beet red and he's clearly very uncomfortable. Um, he's obviously concerned, which is natural, but he says that, you know, like finding this out, I kind of feel like I have competition and that's not something that I feel like I should have when I'm married. Fair. Um, Pastor Cal goes away. We get this like little scene where they kind of make up over wine and Derek voices his concerns with regard to like the other dude. And, um, Katie says that they don't have any communication between them. Like they don't even follow each other on social media anymore. And that kind of like eases uh, Derek's mind and says like, he's just going to trust her and work on things from now on. Jessica and Austin, honestly, there's not really much to say about them. Like, she goes to his house. She's very motherly. She's, like, immediately starts making his bed. She's like, you don't have a top sheet? And she's, like, horrified by that. And the fact that he doesn't, like... She's like, well, if you don't have a top sheet, like, how often do you wash your bedspread like your duvet color and he's like well, I don't know like I don't have a set time she's like oh you should be washing them like every week every couple of weeks which like no shade you guys but like I thought that like just like I'm not trying to be racist but like I thought that white people didn't use top sheets like I thought I just thought that was like not a thing so I was very surprised to see this conversation <laughs> if I'm being honest with you so shout out to you Jessica you're a real one um then they go over to Jessica's house and she's just like bringing a bunch of shit over and like Austin's just like a little bit concerned about that. Um, Pastor Cal comes over and is basically just like, you know, you guys are easy. You guys don't have any real issues. Like, are you guys focusing on the future with each other? And he asks them like if they've discussed finances and she said not really, but they, you know, decided to have a joint account for, you know, house expenses, food, things like that. And like, you know, keep their savings. Then, uh, Jessica says that they did talk about their salaries, but, Uh, At the moment, Austin makes a lot less than she does, which she says, you know, in front of them that it is not a bother to her. But she says in an interview that it did kind of irk her a little bit, but that like she is confident that Austin has like drive and that he has assured her that like he is not comfortable with the amount of money that he makes and that basically like he anticipates making more in the future that his job, you know, there's no like glass ceiling or anything. Um, they s- agreed on the fact that they want to have two to three kids starting in two to three years and that that should line up with Austin starting to make more money. I wonder how much he makes. Like I know DC has a high cost of living, but like for all intents and purposes, like, and I don't know where they live and I don't really know. I, I imagine they're not all in like DC proper, but like, his apartment was really nice. So I'm, I wonder like how much he makes and how much she makes, like, and why it made her uncomfortable. I don't know. I thought that was very interesting because his apartment was like, if I'm remembering quickly, correctly, it was like pretty nice. Um, and I don't think he had a roommate, but maybe they just didn't mention it. Anyway, they're basically like an eHarmony commercial, you know, this will be an everlasting love. I'm not concerned about them at all. Um, then we go to Michael and Mika. I said that correctly the first time. Thank you. Um, Michael is looking there at the apartment and Michael 
the, the, the couple's apartment. And the first thing that Michael does, they're sitting on the couch is Michael throws the pillow on the ground. And he, this like really sets the tone that Michael does not love decorative pillows. <clears throat> um, they go to Mika's place first and she has a lot of decorative pillows on her bed. He hates that as well. <laughs> um, then they go to Michael's house and Mika's confused because she's obviously like a very type A woman and she's in his kitchen and is like, why is everything out? Why, <laughs> why don't you have a place for everything? And she's like opening his cabinets and he's got nothing in the cabinets. She's like, why don't you just put these things in the cabinets? So the way you're like not taking up all this counter space. And <laughs> she's like horrified because he leaves like his pots and pans out. He says like he doesn't use cabinets. She's like he's he's got this uh like a pan on, on the on the stove that still has like the uh what do you call it? the spatula in it? Like it's clean, but like he just leaves it there. She's like, why don't you just put the spatula in the drawer? And he's like, but no, I just. Like a very straight guy thing. Like, well, it's just right there and I'm going to use it. So like, I'll just keep it there. Uh, Whatever. Um, So then Cal comes to the apartment to check on them. And Mika, again, like puts a lot of pressure on herself and puts the onus on herself way more than I think she needs to. And she basically says that like she was putting and but this I didn't disagree with. She was putting too much pressure on the status of like them being husband and wife and that she really needed to like step off and take the pressure off and really get to know him as a person and build a friendship and then like let the relationship go from there. Um then Cal asks about finances with them and Mika says that they've exchanged salaries and Michael's like, she makes a good salary. And like, I guess his salary might be comparable or a little bit less to her at the moment. But now that he's gotten this principal job, he's going to be making a lot more than her. Which she says that she actually prefers because she doesn't like being the breadwinner. Um, they discuss kids and how they're on board with like, potentially having three kids in a couple years. Um, and that Michael mentions adopting one and like possibly adopting one because he's adopted and he, uh, just feels compelled to adopt because there's a big need for black parents to adopt black children. Um, and then he then says that like being adopted informs every part of his life and, it even like seeps into his views on intimacy and Mika's a little bit confused. And so was I. So she asks him to expand on that. And Michael says like his love language is intimacy, but that doesn't necessarily mean physical intimacy, like pure sex. And then Mika says like, okay, well I understand what you're saying now, but you're also contradicting yourself because again, you have mentioned that like, uh, what she said on the plane, And so she brings up the sex thing again. She's starting to get a little bit aggravated. And she says to Cal, like, I'm aggravated because he won't admit to saying, she said, he verbatim told me we need to have sex on our honeymoon or I'm not going to want to be in this marriage. And Michael still would not admit that he said that, that he said that he used the word expectation and that maybe that's where like she's getting confused that he paired sex with expectation. Um, so like Mika's, you know, <laughs> annoyed. Um, then he tells 
Mika that despite the fact, this is Kasher Cal, saying, despite the fact that you don't trust them, just try to lean into the positive. <laughs> despite the man that's trying to, this dude trying to gaslight in you into having sex with him, just focus on the good things, you know? Just just look at the good times, right? Um, I, uh, Pastor Cat, like, I understand that this is a show, and, like, I understand that they want the couples to stay together, and it's like, you at least want them to stay together and throughout the end of the experiment if they break up at that point. But, you know, I understand that there's a show, but it's also, like, at what point do we draw the line? It's like... I, I just don't know. I feel like he, Pastor Cal also puts a lot of pressure more so on the women. Like, I, first of all, I don't think I've seen a scene where, like, well, with the exception of maybe um, the Boston episode with the guy who's now engaged to uh, the therapist from before, we don't often see situations where the women are being the bad ones, the quote unquote bad ones. And I, I just am very uncomfortable with, um, pastor Cal's need to try to convince these women to continue to stay with these men who are treating them shittily. I don't think that he holds these men to account as much as he should. Like, could be like, come on, man, what are you doing? Come on, big guy. What's, what's, what's happening here? But then he'll just be like, Hey, wife just like he's trying here like just, you I think you can make it work like <laughs> you know it's just very weird I don't like that he does that um so the next day Michael says that the night before oh sorry okay let me backtrack so then Cal asks Michael how he feels about like the situation and Michael starts to fidget and he gets really uncomfortable and he says that he wants to make the marriage work. So like every time she mentions this, uh, you know, no sex on the honeymoon thing, Michael like gets really weirdly emotional in a way that I feel is like pretty manipulative, but like this time he's really crying and he says that he feels like he's failing and that there's a lot of pressure to be everything for everybody. And that he's really trying. He's like, boo-hooing. <laughs> um, so the next day, Michael and Mika are talking, and Michael says that the night before was really hard, but they've had more good moments than bad, and he asks how they can move forward, and Mika says, like, what she's been saying before, like, I just need security. I just need you to make me feel confident in this relationship. And that was the end of them. Oof. Now, here's another mess. Brandon and Taylor. Um... Taylor's at the apartment by herself. Um, she says that he has not, Brandon has not texted or called her. Pastor Cal comes over and we get a flashback that I know we saw last week, but I don't think they really explained all of this. But basically Taylor told Brandon that when they were leaving Panama, that he's not acting like somebody she wants to be married to. And that he basically took that as like, I don't want to be married to you anymore. So he took his wedding ring off, threw it, and said that he didn't want to be in the marriage anymore. Um, and then we get back to where she's talking to Cal, and she tells Pastor Cal that Brandon on the bus, and we saw them on the bus last week getting ready to go, that when Brandon got on the bus without his luggage or whatever, all the cash was on it except for him and Taylor. <clears throat> Taylor was not at this on at this point. 
So when Brandon got on the bus, he told everybody to go fuck themselves. <laughs> and then she got on the bus later and he said she didn't want to sit next to her. And he went off on everybody the entire bus ride from the hotel to the airport. Pastor Cal does his requisite, taking off of the glasses and oh, sighing. And he's telling Taylor how horrified he is and that this is not the person that they chose for her. Brandon then walks in like a fucking psycho and he's like, hey guys, what's up? He like brings a, a big bouquet of flowers and he's like, kisses Taylor on the cheek and was like, oh, you know, I just want to apologize for what happened last night. Like, I didn't just like call you a bitch and say fuck you multiple times and fuck you to production and like completely embarrass you like he is acting like I don't know like he forgot to go to I don't know like he's acting like a weirdo a true weirdo um and even Cal's looking at him like why are you trying to act like everything's hunky-dory when it's not Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So Cal's like, Taylor, let's just, I, I need to talk to Brandon man to man for a second. And so she walks up and Brandon said that he felt played by production, which he said before. And he felt like that Taylor was not team Brandon. And Pastor Cal's like, well, there is no team Brandon. You guys are married. <laughs> and um, Cal says that Brandon likes to cause damage before it happens to him. And like, basically he likes to hurt people before he can get hurt. And that that's not an effective way of living because it alienates people ultimately. And so Brandon admits that he messed up and that all of this is on him. Okay, great. Taylor comes back and Cal asks like, what's the best way for them to move forward? And she says that like, if, if Brandon continues to treat her in production the way she saw him treat them in Panama that she's out. Brandon says like, I can't say sorry enough. And Taylor's like, well, I'd like to really get past this. And Cal, <laughs> then Pastor Cal makes Brandon say vows to her to like be a better husband as they're sitting on their like CB2 couch that they got. Um, it's all very corny. Um, then they promise to move into each other with each other. Taylor goes to Brandon's house and like, it's awkward at first, but then she's like, Oh, let me help you pack. And then they started like joking around and having a good time. He's like starting to be like the guy that we saw initially and things ended up pretty 
good. They seem to be on a, a better, uh, better standing with each other at the end of the episode. Um, so yeah, that's it for this week of Married at First Sight. And actually that's it for the episode. I am not feeling great. Yes. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to, uh, first tell you guys that I was on the Kardashian podcast called Say Bible. Um, you guys can listen to the interview now. We didn't do like a recap. It was just pretty much just an interview about my thoughts on the Kardashians and all things to do with the Kardashian world. And we even talked about Tiffany Pollard. <laughs> it was a, a lot of fun. So I believe if you guys are donating at the Kim level of their Patreon for Say Bible, that you can get the interview now. However, you guys wait, you can get it for free next month. And I will alert you guys of that then. Also, I've been feeling some type of way about the Smish Room with Troy McKeady. Um, he did an uh, episode the last week about Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber. And like, it's so good. Like everything that Troy touches is gold. I wish that he would be on my podcast like every other week. Um, but it really dives deep. And I think like, you know, like I was a little bit too old for, you know, to be a believer, but I always kept my eyes on him and like Selena's a little bit too young. Like I tapped out of Disney years ago, like way before Wizards of Waverly Place. But, um, I think like there's something going on with both of them that is so deeply dark and needs to be discussed more. And I, it's very shocking to me that, like, maybe this is just because Demi is publicly open about, like, she's more willing to talk about her demons and her issues with addiction. But, y'all, there's stuff going on with Selena that, like, I think really gets slept under the rug. And definitely with Justin Bieber. Um, Justin became... I guess there's been headlines about this conversation that he did with Zane Lowe and he gets emotional about wanting to protect Billie Eilish and how they have their interactions about how like he'll always be there for her. And like, he just doesn't want her to be put in the same situations that he was put in. And he starts to get like emotional and tears up a little bit. So if you guys see that interview, I think it's really great to listen to the episode of the Smush Room because it really gets into like, all of the things that Justin Bieber was exposed to as a child coming up into this industry. And it really paints a picture of like what we're dealing with now. I know like people, you know, like we walk this fine line of like being gawkers and commenting on celebrities and joking about them and I am completely guilty of that too, of, you know, saying things that I probably shouldn't about people who are really going through things. But I think, well, I think we got very close to a situation with Justin where it happened to, you know, Brittany, Amy Winehouse, where we're just like kind of confused, uh, Amanda Bynes, where we're just like, what's going on here? Why are you, what's with the creepy mustache? What's with like the dirty blonde hair? What's going on with that? And like Troy really kind of opened up my eyes about like, oh, this is what's going on. It's very dark, you guys. And I think we need to put prayer lists up for Justin 
Pantalina and Haley, who I think is dealing with a lot. I think Haley is has a lot on her plate dealing with Justin Bieber, and I feel for that girl. Anyways, <laughs> I will probably be back um, later this week with a 90 Day Fiance uh, recap. Uh, they're doing a two-part reunion Sunday, tonight, and Monday. So hopefully I'll have that up Tuesday or Wednesday. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. I love y'all.